Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about religion, specifically, as a part of our series on Christianity, because a lot of people think Christianity is a religion. And there is a religious aspect to it, but I say that because most people don't understand what religion is. And we've uh, done a uh, show on the definitions of religion. And just to review that and go through that a little bit so that you can understand it. If you look in a dictionary today, in 2013, uh, we see the definition of religion as something that you believe. That's the way it's defined, as something that you believe uh, it says, it's a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered as a cre- as the creation of a superhuman agency or agencies. I thought that was peculiar how they put the word agency or agencies in there. Normally when you say an agency, uh, you think of some sort of government agency. That's about the way our minds work. And, of course, God is a government. God and His way is a way to govern yourselves and to govern yourselves as people. But, of course, Cain had another way of governing you. And uh, if you signed up with Cain or Nimrod or Pharaoh, they would govern you as well. And they would decide what was good and evil. And they would appoint judges over you to exercise authority. And those judges, those ruling judges, would be the gods of your world. And I use all those words that uh, we use commonly, world. But I use them in the sense of the world that we see Jesus saying the kingdom is not of this world talking to Pontius Pilate which means his constitutional order or system of government according to theirs so when we start putting these words and their definitions together we begin to get a different view and idea of what things are as I said in 2013, that definition of religion is a set of beliefs. And it has something to do with uh, a superhuman. Somebody who is, it doesn't even use the word God here. It just says a superhuman agency. You don't even see the word God in the definition. It goes on to say, usually involving a devotional or ritual observance. Ritual observance. When we say ritual observance, we think of some sort of just uh, mindless, perform, you know, we genuflect, we, uh, we, uh, blow incense, we, uh, wave our hands in the air. These are the rituals that we follow. They don't actually do anything, they're just rituals. They're show. He says, often it contains a moral code, but doesn't say that it has to obtain a moral code of conduct for human affairs and specific fundamentals, a set of beliefs 
and practice is generally agreed upon by a number of persons. So that's what religion is according to the modern definition. But if you go back, let's just go back a hundred years. A hundred years is not a long time. You know, there are people I know that are a hundred years old. So when they were a kid and they were starting to learn the definition of religion, they would look it up in the dictionary. And it said the outward act or form by which men indicate their recognition of the existence of a god or gods. And neither one of those are capitalized. They're just talking about any gods, any religion. But it's specifically saying it's an outward act or the form. It's not a belief. It's not what you think necessarily, although it's obviously what you do is connected to what you think. But religion was specifically the outward act of what you would be... Uh, Indicate doing to indicate that you actually believe in some sort of a God. They actually use the word God instead of just supreme, uh, superhuman. It goes on to say in that same 1913 Webster's Dictionary, an unabridged Webster's Dictionary, having the power over their destiny, that this God would have some sort of power over their destiny, to whom obedience, service, and honor are due. The feeling or expression of human love, fear of awesome superhuman, so we see that word superhuman, and overruling power, whether by profession of belief or by the observance of rites and ceremonies. Rites and ceremonies, again, seem like, oh, walk down the center aisle. You know, the ceremonies, you know, uh, you know, hold hands, uh, these are not the essential ingredients of marriage when you, you know, exchange rings and hold hands and, and now you may kiss the bride, but these are ceremonies. They're not the actual being a husband, being a wife kind of thing. And so they're, they're relegating religion to just these ceremonies and rites. That's farther down in the definition, but the, the critical difference is in today's religion, it's just what you believe. In 1913, it was your actual acts, your outward acts that demonstrate, indicate what you believe. So that's a big jump to go from acts to just thinking. You know, what you're doing to what you think and believe. And that's a big jump, but... Let's go back even farther, because, you know, in the Constitution they mention religion, that the government's not supposed to do anything to establish, you know, a like a state religion. You know, they can't make any laws prohibiting the exercise of religion, what you believe, uh, according to 19, or 2013, but what you do, according to... 1913. But what did it, what was the definition at the time of the Constitution? And we can go to a dictionary which is commonly used, it's connected to the Constitution of the United States. Actually, they say it's adapted to the Constitution of the United States, and that's John Bovier's 1856 Law Dictionary. And his first definition of religion is real piety in practice consisting 
in the performance of all known duties to God and your or our fellow man or fellow men. So it's actually consisting of your performance of duties. These are actually functioning acts, acts that fulfill some sort of duty, perform some sort of service, not only to God, but to your fellow men. It doesn't say, or fellow men. It says, our fellow men. It capitalizes God. It doesn't say superhuman. It doesn't talk about belief. It says that it is real piety in practice, comma, consisting in the performance of all known duties. Duties, not rites and ceremonies. It's it's not the fact that you give your wife a ring and that you take her hands and you kiss her in a ceremony. It's that you're actually her husband. And she's actually your wife. It's the performance of duties. That's what religion was. Now, they use the word piety there. Real piety in practice. Consisting of the performance of all known duties. And we think piety, oh, that's like uh, some monk, you know, he's pious or something. But actually, if you look it up in the modern dictionary... One of the very first definitions of pious or piety is making a hypocritical display of virtue. Now, the original word didn't mean anything like that. Piety meant uh, your fulfilling of an obligation, a duty, specifically to your parents, especially to your father. That was piety. That is what piety meant. Words change. And with that, ideas change. And they shift the whole thinking of society in a particular direction. So that you think religion has something to do with what you're doing down there at church. That religion, the word religion, has something to do with what you believe concerning a superhuman deity or creator. Religion has to do, originally, at least at the time of the Constitution, had to do with the performance of all your known duties to God and your fellow man. You were to love, according to God, according to what we read in the Bible, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's your duty, to take care of the needs of your neighbor. If he's freezing and he has no coat, you should give him a coat. That's your duty. But the government can't make any laws accepting the establishment of religion. So the government's not supposed to be making any laws making you fulfill that duty or define that duty to your fellow men. And of course, it doesn't, really. But it appears to. Because it makes all kinds of laws that you have to contribute and provide free education for your neighbor. You have to provide health care for your neighbor because these are part of your duty to your fellow man to help him out when he has needs. But religion is doing that by free will offering, by choice, by choosing. God gave you choice so that you would choose to do the right thing. But the governments of the world, they don't give you choice. They make you provide for your neighbor. 
If your neighbor has no coat and you have two, somebody comes to your door and takes a coat away from you. Now, that's their religion. That's the religion of the governments of the world. That's how they take care of their duty to their God, small g, which are God's many, and their and your fellow men. They provide. They have social welfare. But what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. And how did you get snared into that? Because they're not really making a law that you have to contribute. You signed up. You got baptized into their system. You applied. You prayed for their benefits. You made the state your father. And now you have a pious duty to perform what the gods of your world say you must do. Because you have made covenants with them in order to obtain benefits from men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. We've talked about this. Warned in warnings in the Bible about loving reward, loving benefits. The greatest destroyers of freedom are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And to desire benefits paid for at the expense of your neighbor by force, even if you are in a contract to do so, you've made an agreement, you've joined the club, it's still covetousness. It's not stealing. But it is covetousness. It's not stealing because he signed up too. But, the fact is, is all these welfare systems in all these countries all around the world are not supported by its members. It's supported by the future members, your children and your children's children, because they're all bankrupt. They're all in debt. New Zealand, uh, Australia, South American countries, they're all in debt. All the social welfare systems are in debt. And so therefore, every benefit you take, you're taking from the future. You're taking from people who have not yet signed up. You're taking from your children and your children's children and your children's grandchildren. Because you'll never pay the debt off. You have returned to the vomit and mire of Egypt. And you've been brought back into bondage. And you've been brought there because you don't practice pure religion. And the reason I started this uh, part of the series on religion is because a number of people have asked uh, to reprint the book Covenants of the Gods and... uh, Asked my help to broadcast on my radio station about their their desire to withdraw consent from the world. As if they can just set themselves free. You don't deserve to be free in most cases. I don't know about you individually. I'm speaking to a giant radio audience, so you got to cut me a break here. But the fact is, is that generally speaking, we've been slothful in the religion of Christ. We have not been providing for the needs of our fellow men through faith, hope, and charity. So, therefore, we are fit to be brought under tribute, to force us to do that duty. And we have been brought under because of our covetousness. And we have been made merchandise, human resources, because of our covetousness. Because we are not practicing pure religion. 
religion by faith, hope, and charity. If we are not going to take care of the needy of our society, of our society, I mean, sure, everybody's going to give to some, you know, African orphanage in some underdeveloped country. We'll send 20 bucks this month. And um, they think, oh, well, see, I'm charitable. But you're not taking care of the needs of the needy in your society by faith, open charity. You do that by applying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. That is your religion. Your religion believes in force. Until John the Baptist, the kingdoms of the world were established by force. By getting people to sign up to social welfare systems. Herod was doing it. All you had to do is go get baptized by Herod's minister, registered with uh, the temple uh, by the scribes, and then you were guaranteed social welfare, Corbin, through the treasury of Herod. Not by faith and hope and charity, but by force. And John clearly states, this is how you're supposed to do it, by charity. Jesus clearly says you're supposed to do it by charity, by love. When Jesus says the word, they translate it love. When Paul says it, they usually translate it charity. But charity is love. To take care of one another. So these people that wanted to use my books, wanted to get on our radio show, and wanted to promote their agenda to returning to the Constitution, or returning to freedom, or returning to something that they think is liberty but did not want to talk about religion, will never be free. They'll never be free because they don't know what religion is. Now, I understand. Everybody thinks religion is what you believe. But that's not. That's because they've changed the definition. Religion is what you do. And it's how you perform and fulfill your duty to God the Father... And your fellow man. But you're going to be too busy in the days to come fulfilling your duty to God, small g, the state, Father, and all his socialist minions. You're going to be too busy to take care of one another. But that's why you got to do a little overtime. That's why you have to start practicing pure religion and turn around and go the other way. So anyway... That's what we covered in an article that will soon appear on News and Views. May have already done it if you're listening to a recording of this. But uh, I promised uh, towards the end of that article, I said next we'll take a look at why real Christians were persecuted back then and what Christ was really saying and doing uh, that restored liberty and why you have lost that liberty because you thought liberty had nothing to do with religion. That's the last lines of of the article. But anyway, uh, so we're going to talk about some of that and take a look at some of those uh, different uh, uh, methods of... Um, being real Christians. Because most people are not real Christians. They're not doing what real Christians were doing. And they're not uh, practicing pure religion. 
they are practicing something that is far different than pure religion. So in part two of the articles, which will again also appear on News of the News, uh, and we'll have it on our own website, hisholychurch.org, this idea of uh, practicing pure religion would have to be in consistency with what James said when he defined pure religion as visiting, you know, the needy of your society, the widows, orphans, and doing so unspotted by the world. Now, again, he uses the word world there that theirs says means constitutional order or system of government. And theirs is defining that word world as a system of government. And, of course, when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of your world, he's saying very clearly with the Greek language that my kingdom is not of your government to Pontius Pilate. And whenever you see the word world, you have to know which one Jesus is using, which one is being written down there by the authors in the Bible because of the five different words that we see translated into world, they don't all mean the same thing. They mean something different. That's why they use different words. But the translators use one word and you're going to miss something. Uh, so anyway, uh, the word that we see in the biblical text in reference to religion is threskia. And as I've said many times, most of the time when you see the word religion in the Bible, they're talking about bad threskia, the, re- the threskia of the Pharisees. And of course, the threskia of the Pharisees was a system whereby you signed up, got the baptism of Herod, you had to pay in to the Corbin, the treasury of the temple. The temple was a government building, and it provided you with social welfare if you were blind or if you became indigent or whatever. Well, if you had needs, they would take care of them. If you were crippled, they would take care of them. And a lot of people started saying, well, then I don't have to take care of my parents because they can go to the temple and get their social security payments from the Corbin of the Pharisees because they're all members. But that makes the Word of God to none effect because the Word of God is that you need to take care of your duties to your fellow men and certainly to your parents, your pious duties, piety meaning your obligation to your parents, to faith, hope, and charity, to love. And if you're doing it through the government agency that exercises authority one over the other, you're making the word of God to none effect, which is why Christ said you weren't to do it that way if you were going to be one of his followers. But today, you don't have to follow the way that Christ laid down. You just believe. You just believe in Jesus. But you don't even know Jesus if you're not doing what he said. And we'll cover that in... uh, the next show, but right now we're looking at this word threskia, which actually has to do with what you do. Again, that's why religion has to do with what you do. It doesn't mean clapping or dancing or singing. Those are those are kind of mindless rituals, you know. Putting a ring on a girl's finger doesn't make her your wife. It's when you become her husband and she becomes your wife. Those outward symbols, that's not really the, the, the trick. 
that's just an outward symbol to make a demonstration to other people. But religion is actually fulfilling your duties. So therefore, threskia means actually fulfilling your duties to God, which includes loving your neighbor, and to your neighbor, which includes those acts of love, actually caring for, taking care of. Now, threskos, or threskia, comes from a particular word, and we're going to look at what word it really comes from, and what they have led you to believe that it comes from, when we return to Keys of the Kingdom, and take a look at the rest of the story concerning religion. Be right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about religion. The taboo subject of religion. People don't want to talk about religion. They just want to be free. You can't be free unless you talk about religion. But you have to know what religion is. And religion is what you do to take care of the needy of your society. Your fellow man. Your obligations to your fellow man. Now... What does your society need? What do the people who are needy in your society need? Well, if you just go around and ask everyone, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? They'll tell you what they think they need. <laughs> but often, I mean, try that with children. What do you need? Well, I need an ice cream bar. <laughs> I need a Dairy Queen. I need a Popsicle. Uh... That's what they think they need. No, 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 no. You need to eat your meal first, and then you can have a treat afterwards. In other words, we see that in Thessalonians. If you don't work, you don't eat. You don't need to eat. You need to go without eating. You need to fast until you get off your lazy hind end and get to work. So, giving somebody what they need is not always giving them what they say they want. Or think they need. They may need to change their diet. They may need to change their ways. They may need to do a lot of things. And so you're to give them what they need. Your obligation is to strengthen the poor. Not to weaken them. And we've talked about that. And I've written about that in several articles. Where people say, oh, no, the government needs to take care of the needy because if we don't do that, God would curse us. Take care of the needy by what means? And what is really taking care of the needy? Making a man dependent upon your welfare, it makes him weak. It does not strengthen the poor. Look at, look at the poor in your society. Look, how has, how has the poor gone away since the great society began under LBJ or the New Deal under uh, um, FDR. Yeah, why, why do these guys only have initials? <laughs> why do we tell, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, that philanderer guy, you know, <laughs> who was the President of the United States. Uh, and his New Deal. His New Deal's not all that new. 
Cain had it. Nimrod used it. Pharaoh used it. Made slaves of men for century upon century upon century. But unless you know history, you're doomed to repeat it. And you're not going to know history unless you know the history of words. Because men are ruled by words. And you think religion has something to do with what you believe in your head. Religion always had something to do with what you do. And your obligation to your fellow man as well as to God. Threskos is the Greek word that we see, or threskia, we see in in the Testaments that is translated religion. And some people tell you that it comes from a word, threomi, uh, that means to tremble. But a lot of scholars who have looked into it in greater depth by reading other Greek writings and reading what the Greeks said about their own language, you know, kind of looking it up in the dictionary, so to speak, of the time, have discovered that it comes from therop, meaning to serve. That's what threskos means. It means to serve. And, of course, that fits right in with what we see James talking about when he's talking about pure religion, is to visit, to take care of, to provide for the needy of your society, unspotted by the world. And the word world there is constitutional order or system of government because the constitutional orders and system of the government, constitution being contracts, covenants, which, of course, you're not to make with the people where you go, nor with their inhabitants of the lands where you go, nor with their gods. According to the Ten Commandments, which Paul never says is done away with. He says, nomos is done away with. Not in tole. In tole is the word we translate into commandments. But uh, the word we translate into law is nomos. So he's saying the nomos is done away with, and he's specifically talking about the nomos of the Pharisees and and governmental agencies such as that, who think they're superhuman and think that they have the right to rule over other humans, and they become the gods of your world, your constitutional order and system of government, and they make laws for you and decide what is good and evil for you, and they rule over you, and you're in bondage to them. And you're in bondage to them because you wanted their benefits. Because the greatest destroyers of freedom are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. You see, I do repeat myself, but I have to keep saying this. And I was told just this this last week by somebody who said that, you know, they were listening to my audios. They've been listening all, all the time now. There's hundreds of them up there. They said that I would hear you say it one way. I'd hear you say it another way. And i hear you say it. And then finally, all of a sudden, it would click exactly what you were saying, or at least they got a better understanding of what I was saying. Something clicked in their own thinking, in their own heart, where they suddenly realized, oh, well, this is, oh, well, now I see where they didn't see before. So, yeah, I do repeat, and I try to say it as many different ways as possible. This word, therap, which is the source of the word threskos. Uh, if you if you look at it as a noun, it means a servant. If you look at it as more of a, a verb, it means to serve, to heal even, to attend, 
to be a servant to. The term is a term of dignity, and they make reference to it in other places. But it has to do with this healing, and we have an article up, Heal Our Land. You are not going to be a free people unless you start taking care and attending to the true needs, the righteous needs of your neighbors, your fellow men, by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. Until you start doing that, you can kiss your liberties goodbye. You're not going to return to your liberties. You're bound in debt anyway. You can't just free yourself. You can't throw off the governments which have, you know, the bands which have bound you because you're in debt. Even the American Revolution didn't get rid of the debt that the United States, uh, that the people of America in, in different aspects in the different states had to the British crown. They still, if there was debt, they had to pay it. And they had to honor those obligations. They didn't get out of those. And, and, and most of you know the IRS is, is not a federal agency. It's really a foreign agency collecting a foreign debt. So you throw off the United States federal government, you've opened the door to an invasion of all the minions of those you owe the debt to, which is just about everybody in the world can come here and invade. And legally do so, and God, God's not going to get in the way of that. Because you don't have God backing you. You know, he says, go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. I will not hear you in that day. And you've chosen other gods. You think you believe in Jesus. But you've been asking and praying to other gods and other fathers of the earth to take care of the needs of your society. Because you've been slothful in your obligations to your fellow man. You you have gone into bondage because you have been slothful in the ways of Christ. Because you think believing in Christ is just thinking and saying, Lord, Lord. No, you, you have gone whoring after other gods to get their benefits. But that's good news to you now. Because now you can turn around. And start going the other way. You can start gathering together to become the benefactors of Christ. Who do not exercise authority one over the other. And it will be great therapy for you. Because that's where you get the word therapy. is from the same word you get the word religion. At least the Greek word religion, treskos. If you want to heal the breach in your land, between you and liberty under God, the right to be ruled by God, the kingdom of God, then you have to stop praying to the fathers of the earth who have been providing you with benefits at the expense of your neighbor and start providing benefits for your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Well, at least those you congregate with. And this is why the early church congregated this is why they picked ministers not to tell them what to believe. They already knew what to believe. Not to regulate their lives. Not to rule over them. To force their contributions. But they hired 
ministers who were called servants ministers. Public servants to take care of the public need of society. This is what they were doing. Galatians 4.10 says, You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. You're worried about all these other things, and you're not dealing with the essential. Set those other things aside till you get the essential. If you're in a boat that's sinking and you're out at sea, it's time to bail, not row. Get the water out of the boat. Get the foolishness out of the boat. Learn to stay afloat in a world that has gone wild with covetousness. Learn to take care of one another. Gather together. I don't care how far apart you are. Gather together in heart, in spirit, in the ways of Christ. And start tithing one to another. Helping one another. You say, oh, well, we don't have any needs, so there's no need for tithing. No, there is need for tithing. Go out and help anybody. Go out and serve anybody. But bring within the spirit of service that strengthens the poor. Don't just feed fat people in bread lines. Unless you're going to be putting them on a low-fat diet. <laughs> of course, I don't know where you get a no-fat diet unless you grow it yourself. Because the most of the no-fat foods that you buy in the store are poisons. Most of the food you buy in the stores contain some form of poison or other. How, could, how did that come about? That's because you don't love your neighbor as yourself. Christians don't grow GMOs. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Christians can't, they wouldn't want to grow GMOs. They, they know that that would be poisoning people. You know, they, they would want to grow good food. They wouldn't want to alter God's creation in such a heinous and evil way. There are very few Christians in the world today. Very few. But there's room for lots more if you will repent and turn around. Now, every government today has some form of religion, some form of means by which they fulfill their obligation to their fellow man and care for the needy of their society. It, there are two ways in which to do that. And John the Baptist preached one that was by charity. But until John the Baptist, most people were preaching one that was based on force. One system believed that you had a right to practice private religion according to your God-given conscience, what you believed. And the other religion was a public religion. It was run by ministers who exercised authority through their constitutional order or system of government, through their world, through their system of self-government or government of not, I shouldn't say self-government. They were self-government in, in the sense of a collective. They all had one purse of rights. They weren't self-government in the sense of individual self-government. That This is the two religions of the world. One takes care of the needy. Both have to take care of the needy. 
both have to fulfill an obligation of performance. And they do this basically in, in a pious sense to their father. But their father is in heaven, not in, you know, Brisbane or or London or or Ontario or Washington, D.C. or wherever. Their father is in heaven. And they fulfill their obligations to their fellow man through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. So therefore, they are at liberty. Those who do not do that, what should have been for their welfare becomes bondage, a snare, a trap. And Paul tells us this. But all you guys who are up there in la-la land thinking that you believe in Jesus Christ and that when Paul says, my brethren, he's talking about you. He's not talking about you. He's talking about those people who are actually doing what Christ said. He didn't invent a new gospel. He didn't reveal a mysterious gospel that none of the other apostles knew. Peter knew this gospel. He even tells you that my brother Paul is going to tell you about things that are hard to understand. Why did Peter know they're hard to understand? Because Peter knew that they were only revealed by revelation. Even if you read Paul and you don't have the revelation of the Spirit, you will not understand Paul. And I have example of example after example of that. And we may get into that in the next show. Because I've just went around and around with another guy who does not understand the gospel of Paul, which is the gospel of Christ. And he's under a strong delusion. He is actually serving the beast. And thinks that God told him to serve the beast. Because he doesn't understand Paul. One system sets society free because it is based on free will choice. And love through charity. And the other one is based on forcing your neighbor to contribute into a treasury run by men who exercise authority one over the other. That is the division between the two religions of the world. There are only two religions in the world. Did you know that? If we define religion as it was originally defined and not as this denominational what you believe, whatever you think. You know, we we hear about outcome based education where there is no wrong answer and you know that it's uh, you know whatever you think is true that's what's true you know kind of thing that's what you're seeing in these definitions the spirit of that the spirit of evil is pervasive in the world today and it's writing your dictionaries it's writing your laws it's writing your news it's writing your bible commentary And you're believing it. It's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. You want to be free, set your neighbors free. That's It's as simple as that. You want to be free, set your neighbors free. How do you set your neighbors free and still fulfill your obligation to your fellow man and to God? Because God said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Christ said, feed my sheep. How do you do that? Unless you gather together and contribute to men of service. Now, if your ministers are not men of service, if there are men of rituals and ceremonies, and not actually performing the obligations and services of a kingdom based on righteousness, 
a government, a way of living together in righteousness, then don't give to him anymore. If he has led you into bondage, why are you paying his salary? If he has brought in damnable heresies that has delivered you back into the bondage of Egypt and deceived you about the gospel of the kingdom that sets men free, then stop paying him. (laughs) That's simple. Find somebody who's actually telling you the truth. Find somebody you can gather with and will actually watch out for everybody in your little local congregation and connect you with all the other congregations who are doing the same, following the way of Christ. And if you have no needs amongst you, still pay in so that you go out and help other people. But bring with you in that aid the Spirit of Christ. If you will not repent, neither will you be forgiven. If you will not change your ways, neither will I support you. If you will not come together to help others, why should I help you? I would be helping you sin. I would be helping you be lazy. I would be helping you be neglectful. Everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. And everybody should do something to receive the benefits. They won't do enough. You won't do enough. You still save by grace and you should bring grace with you when you go out to do your charitable works. I go on to say one group believed in the influence and power of a spiritual creator or father in heaven and the other formed a belief in a superhuman agency of men created by men to rule over men with an exercising authority. Which one are you? Which religion do you belong to? Which place do you pray to to get your benefits of society? To men who exercise authority or to men who will not exercise authority one over the other? but come to serve only. This is why you're not free. It's because of your religion or lack thereof. You know, I know a lot of guys that they don't want any benefits from government. They don't want to pay into government. They want to cheat on their taxes. But then with the money they save when they cheat on their taxes, are they out there taking care of the needy of their society? No, they're just going out and spending it on themselves. They don't even take care of their own family in many cases. Well, there's no kingdom there. There's no Christ spirit there. One system of private religion. In other words, you gather together in free assemblies, which you have a right to do still, to take care of the needy of your society by free will offerings, looking out amongst yourselves and finding men you trust. All these words are right out of the Bible. This is what they were doing. This is what church was. It was the welfare of society based on free will offerings and the perfect law of liberty. You still have needed that because the only religion you have is the public religion 
that exercises authority. And it is your religion that has brought you into bondage. That It is what should have been for your welfare that has become a snare. You have sat and ate with rulers with great appetite instead of putting a knife to your throat, as it says in Proverbs, because he serves you deceitful meats. You know, when Paul talks about been a snare, he's just quoting David, who said, what should have been for your welfare has become a snare, a trap. And that's why you lack freedom. You cannot fix this unless you change your religion. I'm not changing, I don't care if you're a Lutheran or Presbyterian or whatever. And in the article I, I write, I says it doesn't, you're not supposed to believe in your priests, in your monks, in your pastors, in your imams, in your, uh, you know, whatever. There's all these different titles for these different religions. Because those religions are just simply things you believe. That's not what religion was. It's what you do. And the way you take care of your needy is through men who exercise authority one over the other. They call themselves benefactors, but they don't give you anything except what they take away from your neighbor. Which is covetous, which is why you've been made merchandise in human resources. It's, it's, it's plain and simple. The faithful that Paul talks to and about, the brethren Paul talks to and about, are actually taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. If you aren't doing that, then Paul's not talking to you. You are not saved. And you are not following in the ways of Christ. You need to know the real Christ. And we'll talk more about this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and I'm talking to you about religion. Religion. Religion is what you do, not what you think, not what you believe. You, what you do may be the result of what you believe, but religion itself is the acts of what you do, the actual full, 
fulfilling of a duty to take care of your fellow man because God said so. That's what religion was at the time of Christ. Pure religion was doing this by not exercising authority one over the other, but by free will offerings and the perfect law of liberty. When Paul was talking to the faithful, he was talking to people who were doing that very thing. They were not going to the welfare of Caesar. They were not going to the welfare office of Herod. They were not going to the welfare office of any of the 127 different countries that had bound themselves together through the Temple of Ephesus to provide the social welfare of the Pax Romana. You don't know about all that because they don't teach you that. You don't really study to show yourself approved. You do what your imams and your pastors and your priests and your ministers whose minds have been regulated through their seminaries tell you. And they're under a strong delusion because the damnable heresy has crept into Christendom. So that most of the people calling themselves Christians are taking the title in vain. That's good news to know that because now you can do something about it. You can repent, which is where the gospel starts. Repent. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God. You're not ruled by God because you've accepted a false religion. And I'm not talking about Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian or even Muslims or Hindus or whatever. I'm talking about the idea you have accepted a public religion. And this is why Christians were persecuted, because Christians would not participate in the public religion of those 127 different countries that built the temple at Ephesus. They were actually accused of robbing the temple at Ephesus, which was the center of welfare and the underwriter of all insurance programs throughout the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana. That's right. This is what they were doing. They had the largest and most secure vault in all the Mediterranean was in the temple at Ephesus. They coined money in the temple at Ephesus. They insured commercial ventures in the temple at Ephesus. They did that at the temple of Janus. The temple of Saturn, they registered your birth certificates. That's right. That's what they were doing in the temple. Those are government buildings, for gosh sakes. Didn't anybody tell you that? You registered your birth certificates at the temple of Saturn so they would know when you were eligible for benefits. This was public religion supported by taxes and free will offerings. It used to be only free will offerings in Rome. That's why Rome raised to such a great power as they supported all the needy of their society being the actual citizens of their republic. They supported them with free will offerings at first. There was no government dole. That didn't get going until Augustus Caesar, 500 years after they were created. It didn't really get going in America until FDR and the New Deal. Which isn't the New Deal. It's the same old deal that Augustus was offering. <laughs> that if you sign up and you register your births, you know, of course, he was giving you the choice by the time Marcus Aurelius came by. 
you had to register your birth. It was law. 30 days you had to register your birth. There was a great change in the Republic of Rome at the time of Augustus Caesar, whose name wasn't Augustus or Caesar. Those are offices. His name was Octavius. But Augustus Caesar was sensible, and I'm quoting here, was sensible that mankind is governed by names, nor was he deceived in his expectation that the Senate and people would submit to slavery, provided they were respectfully assured that they still enjoyed their ancient freedoms. What were their ancient freedoms? The right to take care of the needy through faith, open charity, and not be forced by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority to contribute to welfare schemes run through these temples. Herod started a scheme like that following the lead of Rome and the Greeks and their democracies, which are doomed to failure. I always am just amazed. If you actually studied history, you would know that almost nobody was in favor of democracy for the first hundred years or so of America, of the United States, I'll even say. Because America is older than the United States, of course. The republics were here long before the United States. But these these systems that you've created, these de- democratic systems, they, they were all against it. Marx wasn't. Marx was for democracy because he knew it, it led to socialism and socialism leads to communism. I mean, Hitler was a social democrat. That's, that's, the, that's where you go. Social democracies always go that way because of the nature of people, the weakness of people, the greed and covetousness of people. They start voting in more benefits. They want more benefits. They want health care systems. Even half the people that oppose the present health care system coming next year, they just want a different one. <laughs> they still want to be taken care of by their neighbor, and they're absolutely willing to force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. If you are thinking that way, you will not be free, and your system will eventually fail. It is called the unrighteous mammon by Christ. And the unrighteous mammon will fail. He says, seek the righteous mammon, the kingdom of God. And its place was the kingdom of God is private religion. It is you privately, willingly choosing to take care of the needs of your society. Now people say, well, we, we we can't do this. What you buy insurance? What do you think insurance is? You you buy insurance. Everybody pays in something so that the insurance company will have some money to help take care of your needs if you have a difficulty. And they they create policies where they say, oh, if you have, you know, if if you get a disease that we can treat. We will, uh, you know, we will do this much for you. You know, like you can go out and whore around until you get syphilis, and they will pay for the antibiotics to cure you. Now, the church could be like an insurance company in the sense that it's an assurance company, but if you're whoring around and you get syphilis, we may not buy your 
you may have to go get your own uh, antibiotics to cure your syphilis. Because we're not going to support your evil ways. If you're lazy and refuse to work, you know, how many people do you know who's been on unemployment until their unemployment ran out? And you knew full well, I can name you people, one after another, that I personally know. And they're not in our network. They're just people I know uh, community-wise. Stayed on unemployment because the check was easy and they just sat around watching TV and gaining weight. And they did this time and time again. Until their unemployment ran out. Don't they realize that they're robbing for everybody else who's paying in unemployment? People say, oh, I paid in. You paid in to take care of the needs of others. Not to abuse the system. You should have been seeking to work. And really trying to get a job. And not just use up. I mean, employers now use unemployment. As a means of paying their help. They actually plan to lay off their help so that they can collect unemployment. And then the the help immediately begins planning their fishing trips. Because while they're on unemployment, they're going to go fishing. They're not actually looking for another job. And they, they will do this for several months and then they'll go back in to work again. But they got a lot of good fishing in while they were on unemployment. That's dishonest. That's unchristian. But that's legal. Because you belong to a public religion that takes care of the needy of your society without the moral code of Christ. You see, you could be taking care of all those needs in your church. And that's what churches used to do. They say, well, what about a catastrophic illness? For one thing, Christians are givers of life and they will seek ways that will, you know, alternative ways to help heal you. And the fact is, is if you were running this the way the early church did, you would have miraculous cures. But even if you didn't, there's absolutely no reason to believe that you could not take care of all the real needs of the people much more efficiently. Now, I just read a story about a doctor who is not taking any more insurance payments. He he won't treat anybody who wants him to submit to their insurance company. He doesn't even want to know who your insurance company is. He less than halved almost all of his charges. And he says, I'll, I'll still make more money because I don't have to deal with insurance companies. It used to cost me so much so much extra help, so much extra paperwork to deal with insurance companies that, that was such a headache. He said, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give the people the, the uh, medical help that they need. If they can't pay for it, well, we'll just work something else out. They can submit to their own insurance company for reimbursement, but I'm not going to do it. And he was able to half or less than half all of his fees and still make the same amount of money. He said, I lost some customers, but I'm getting lots more customers. Because a lot of other people who don't have health insurance would rather go. They're shopping around. They're saying, this doctor's charging half of what these other doctors have. 
And how can he afford to do that? He doesn't mess with insurance companies. You don't realize what insurance companies are costing you. I, I know people that are actually in the hospital right now and the insurance company is threatening to take away their assistance. You th- this is a private insurance company. You still, you can voluntarily stop paying into that insurance company. So they gotta, they gotta put on their best face because they'll start losing customers if they get a reputation that they, they don't take care of the, the people they're insuring. Once this goes to the governments of the world, you don't have a choice. <laughs> they don't have, they just cut you off anytime they want. You can whine like a stuck pig. You should be doing what Christ and the early Christians did. Not public religion, private religion. And the point of all this, why I'm, I'm discussing this, is because of the fact this is why Christians were persecuted. It wasn't because they believed in Jesus or they believed in, you know, the Trinity or they believed in virgin birth or, uh, or that they uh, put a wafer of bread on people's tongue. Uh, they didn't even do that. They actually gave loaves of bread. They were persecuted because they would not pay into the temple welfare systems of this Pax Romana. They believed in private religion. And they could do that then because Christ was a king who appointed ministers that they could choose to contribute to or not. And then those ministers would rightly divide the bread from house to house, the the resources that they had. And in order to do this well, they had to create a system of ten families, one minister, and then ten groups like that together and they pick a minister so they created a network so that if if something devastating happened to one congregation that they couldn't handle you were connected to a hundred other congregations and each of them could give something without any burden to anybody and take care of that catastrophic need and they they did this throughout the empire and it scared the bejesus out of the emperors like Hadrian and Trajan and and others and 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 uh, Tonius Pius and and Marcus Aurelius, because the union and discipline of such a network it bound the people together by love. They were there for you when you needed help. You were there for them when they needed help. You were a social assurance system based on faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. That leads to freedom. That is the only road that leads to freedom. All your boasting and rhetoric about taking my rights back, you can't have them unless you take your responsibilities back. And most people don't take their responsibilities back. They aren't doing that. They aren't taking their responsibilities back. And that's why they're not free. And that's why they're not going to be free. Because they aren't doing what they should be doing. So anyway, we have to 
take a look at pure religion, real religion, which is the caring for the needy of our society through faith, hope, and charity. Now, a lot of people don't believe me when I, I talk about this idea of public religion and private religion, and that's the reason why Christians were persecuted. And you're going to have great opportunity for that in the future because if you were, the church legally now can become the social welfare of your society. If you organize your church the way it was in the first century instead of the way you see it now, which is ridiculous. It's absurd. They don't take care of any needs, really. Just token needs now and then. They're more interested in their big screen TVs and making you feel good and telling you all you have to do is believe and all these other nonsensical things when religion is actually doing something. You know, Christ was actually doing something. The apostles were actually doing something. They were providing service and people were supporting them with their substance. How did they do that? I mean, that's private religion. Faith, hope, and charity. Perfect law of liberty. Dutifully attending to the legitimate pleas for assistance of the needy in a loving, charitable way that strengthened the poor according to the will of God, the Father who art in heaven, who acts and performs His will through the free hearts and minds of the people who know Him. How do you know you know Him? Well, you keep the commandments. You will keep the commandments. You will not covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of governments of the world that you create by your application and participation. These were the called out faithful of God that were doing this. The brethren that, that Paul is talking to. The ones that were dead in Christ. They were dead to what? Dead to the systems of the Pharisees. Anyone who got the baptism of Christ was cast out of the social welfare system. Run through the government temple. Government building called the temple. And run by the Pharisees. Exercising authority one over the other. But we were not to be that way. We were to do this by faith, hope, and charity. There is the distinction between public religion, private religion, pure religion, false religion, between the ways of Christ and the ways of the world. You are dependent on the world because you are of the world. And you can't even get out of it now because you become a surety for debt. You have become merchandise. You become human resources. The only way out is back to religion. Pure religion. Private religion. That is what you should be doing. Before you talk about withdrawing consent. Before you talk about returning to the Constitution. You don't even know what that means. Constitution didn't set you free. It created government. And that government offered you a deal, a new deal. You promise to pay into us and we will promise to take care of you, but all men are liars. They will not take care of you in hard times, but when real hard times comes, you're going to cry out to God and he'll say, go cry unto the gods which you have chosen for yourself because I will not hear you because you haven't been faithful. You're not the brethren of Paul who are taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, which we call love. You were taking care of the needy through a system, a constitutional order or system of government that exercises authority one over the other. That's how you educated your children. You sent them to public school. 
You say, well, I paid into that. Well, you made more people pay into it that didn't even have kids. That's the only way you could afford that education. Is everybody had to pay in. You made them pay in. At the point of a gunner, you threatened to take their homes away from them. You call me, you tell me that's not covetousness? Then you aren't keeping the commandments. So therefore you do not know Christ. So therefore you are not saved. Because you do not believe in His ways. You see? But that's good news. Because now you can repent. Now you know the direction to go. Now you know the way. All you have to do is start following it. Start taking steps in that direction. Start doing what Jesus said. Strive. Once you turn around, strive. Right now you've been striving to go the wrong way. And that's why you have ruling judges over you in the world today. That is why they can take away your rights. Because you have neglected your responsibilities. I talk about this system established through covetousness that makes the people fit to be ruled by the first tyrant that comes along promising them benefits at the expense of their neighbor. This system of public religion results in what they call pignoration. Pignoration of the people. Which is why you are seeing your loss of liberty. So what is pignoration? In the civil law of Rome, pignoration. This word was used by the Justinian in the title of the 52nd novel of his codes. And it signifies not only a pledge of property, which of course your, all your property is pledged for this debt. But an engagement of the person himself. Even you are pledged. So in, in today's system, your property is pledged as surety for debt. That's why you have to pay an excise tax on it. Because you don't own the use of it. You only have legal title. Go read Law versus Legal or listen to our audios on that. And it explains all that. You don't own your land. You don't own your car. It's all regulated. It has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has to do with contract. A pignorative contract in civil law. That it, that all that is the property of the state. Pledged as property of the state. To be managed by the state. For the benefits that the state wishes to give or not give. Because they have the exercising authority. And this is all legal. But it actually engages even yourself. Even your own labor labor is bound under a pignorative contract. Pignorative contract in the civil law. A contract by which the owner of an estate engages it to another for a sum of money and grants to him and his successors the right to enjoy it until he shall be reimbursed voluntarily that sum of money. In other words, through debt, you have been pignorized. Pignoris copio. The name given to one of the uh, legis actions of the Roman law. It consisted chiefly in the taking of a pledge and was in fact a mode of execution. 
you are bound by the debt. This is why all these countries are in debt. All these countries. Uh, your whole social welfare system is in debt, operating in the red. In all these countries. Why? Because that's how they bind you. Through the pignorative contract of civil law. Nothing to do with the Constitution. The Constitution just created a body. It's what you've been doing that has brought you into bondage, that has taken away your rights. If you want to change that, you've got to change what you're, you've been doing. You've got to be doing something different. Because, see, right now, your religion is the state. That's how you serve one another. That's how you take care of the needy of your society. Your Corbin that makes the word of God to none effect is a Corbin collected by men who exercise authority, not through private religion, through faith, hope, and charity. The conflict between the Christians and the people who uh, persecuted them in the early days of the church was mostly over their system of social welfare, which was managed through the temples of Ephesus, the temple of Saturn, the Parthenon, all those systems. This is where they gave their free bread away. And they were run by the government, overseen by the government, inspected by the government. Because they were government programs. Supported by taxation. And Christians depended upon a holy temple of living stones, a network of people who cared as much about their neighbor as they did themselves and practiced pure religion through the perfect law of liberty by faith, hope, and charity. The modern idea of religion meaning something you believe does not match up with the word threskia. It doesn't match up with the word religion even at the time of the uh, beginning of the Constitution of the United States. Back in the the days of the persecution under men like Marcus Aurelius, there was a a Platonist, someone who... uh, advocated Plato's uh, philosophies on republics, which is another whole story, named Celsus, who opposed the sectarian tendencies at work in the Christian movement because he saw in Christianity a privatizing of religion, the transferal of religious values from the public sphere to the private association. What religious values? The the taking care of the needy of society. Fulfilling your obligations to society. He saw it going into a, a private association, which actually was really a private assembly of the people who gathered together and took care of one another. He opposed that. They feared that. This is why they were persecuted. Under the emperor Septimus uh, Severus. It says Severus returned victorious from. I don't know if I should start reading this. We in this half of the show we may not. We'll, we'll read what Severus had had to say about Christians and why they were being persecuted uh, during that period, uh, which was about 202, about the tenth year of his own reign. And you will see how this has an effect on your present government. Because the church is one form of government. It's also one form of religion. It is what should be for your welfare that is not a snare, that actually sets you free. 
It's what Paul was talking to and about when he talked to the brethren who were doing what Christ said. The modern individuals who think they're following Paul aren't doing what Christ said, and that's how come we know they aren't really saved and they don't really believe in Christ. Because they are not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They are not freely assembling and becoming one form of government practicing pure religion. So therefore, they do not know Christ. They do not know Paul. And they are not saved and they do not believe. They are actually workers of iniquity because they've brought in a damnable heresy that is not cast up. Anyway, we'll show you what Severus had to say about Christianity when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And we're uh, we're looking at this idea of religion and pure religion and impure religion, which I assume if there's a pure religion, there has to be an impure religion. And the impure religion is actually public religion. And it is religion as the way in which you take care of the needy of your society. And you have a choice between taking care of the needy of your society by praying to men who exercise authority one over the other, or praying to servants of God who just come to serve. And like Christ, they came to serve. They, they're, they're not, they don't want to exercise authority. They want to provide you with the needs of, of society and, and help you fulfill your duty to your fellow man through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, which leads to liberty in society. Just as if you decide to provide the needs of your society through force, it leads to bondage. This is, you you know, this road leads to Rome, and this road leads away from Rome. Both roads are the same road. It's about direction, which is why the gospel begins with turn around, repent, go the other way. And so I'm, I'm orienting you on the world. Not of the world, but in the world. In the world, you have a choice. Move towards Rome, totalitarianism, uh, uh, despotism, or move away from that towards freedom under God. And how do you do that? You do that by religion. Religion, not what you believe, not what you think in your head, not the doctrines that somebody spent way too much time making up, but you actually do it the way Christ said to do it. Now, there was an emperor... Emperor Septimus uh, Severus, uh, who returned victorious from having vanquished the kings who had uh, taken part in the Niger Rebellion against him. He published his cruel edict against Christians in the year 2002, or 202, uh, 202, uh, the 10th of his own reign. But the general laws of the empire against foreign religions... That's right. Against foreign religions. Religions that were not legalized by him. Christianity was legal. Christ made it legal. It was uh, made legal because Christ 
came up against Pontius Pilate and he made a royal proclamation as procurator of Rome saying Jesus Christ is king, Jesus Christ is king. And therefore, his appointed ambassadors, apostles, were in charge of a government recognized by Rome, even defended by Rome in the case of Paul. So anyway, this general law of the empire against foreign religions and the former edict of several emperors against the Christians were a sufficient warrant to many governors to draw a sword against them before that time. And we find that the persecution was very hot in Africa two years before under the proconsul Saturninus. And I'm actually reading from The Lives of the Saints in Volume 7, July 1866. So this is knowledge that's been around for some time. Now, what did Saturninus, Vigilius Saturninus, who was born about 180 CE, addressed uh, seeming antisocial behavior of 12 uh, Christians who were eventually were martyred? And there were a lot more martyred during this time of persecution in North Africa. He says, we too are religious. You, know, you have to remember, Christians were accused of atheism because they had no gods. Who were these gods? These were ruling judges. Augustus appointed ruling judges throughout the empire to run the imperial courts. This this office was called apotheos. These gods were the judges of those courts. Those Romanorum courts. They didn't decide all issues. They decided imperial issues, just like your federal judges today. And they are appointed by your apotheos. Your president, just as they were appointed by Augustus Caesar. These men decide what is good and evil. You know, this Christian family that wanted a homeschool in in, uh, Germany and was driven out and sought asylum in America because they were actually threatened with imprisonment and their kids being taken away from them. If they dared try to teach their children themselves, homeschooling, they were driven out by that edict amongst that government, which even that the German people said is authoritarian, autocratic, and the the system of being anti-homeschooling stems back to Adolf Hitler. Because that wasn't done away with just because you beat Hitler. So anyway, they fled that. They came to America. They got asylum. Um, Holder opposed this and has now taken it into court and they have lost so far. Uh, They won and then in Holder's court uh, of INS they've lost and they said because there is no fundamental right to teach your children. You have no fundamental right to your children according to these people And, and to some degree they're right because you've made the state your father. I mean, the state takes care of your education, takes care of your health care, takes care of your welfare. It does all this stuff through public religion. Through public providing for the needs of your society, like Saturninus wanted to do. He says, we too are religious. Our religion is simple. We swear by the genius of our Lord the Emperor. And we apply to his benefits... As you also ought to do. But 
Christians were not doing that. Why? Because the emperor was one of those men who exercised authority one over the other, who forced the contributions of the people so that he could distribute free bread to their temples. And Christians would not do that because Christ says it was not to be that way with you. So how did they get educated? How did they get free bread? How did they get help and assistance? They went to church. And they did it according to the perfect law of liberty. So Spiratus, who was one of those Christians being persecuted and in this trial, and we have copies of this. This has just survived all these years. He says, I know not the genius of the emperor of this world, this constitutional order or system of government. But I serve the God of heaven, whom no mortal man hath ever seen or can see. I never committed any crime punishable by the laws of the state. I pay a public duty for whatever I buy. He pays the sales tax, which support, supported part of the government. Acknowledge the emperor for my temporal lord. But I adore none but my God, who is the king of kings and sovereign or lord over all nations and the world. I have been guilty of no crime and therefore cannot have incurred punishment. But he did. Why? Because he exercised private religion, not public religion. He did not apply to the temples of Rome for benefits such as social welfare, health care. They had total health care under one of these emperors uh, during that period of time. Uh, it, you know, it fluctuated from time to time, but they actually, at one point they had universal health care. Uh, I wouldn't probably want to take all their remedies uh, that they offered any more than I'd want to take all the remedies offered today. But this is where they go. You have to understand what were Christians doing in church. They weren't just performing rituals and ceremonies. They were actually fulfilling the needs. If you go back to 150 A.D. under Marcus Aurelius and, and before that under Antonius Pius, we have Christians who wrote the emperor and explained to him Christianity. Uh, and, and he says, uh, And we afterwards continually remind each other of these things. And uh, the wealthy among us help the needy. And we always keep together. And for all things wherewith we are supplied, we bless the Maker for all through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Ghost. Those that had shared with those that did not have enough to get them through some of these difficult times as Rome began to collapse. What was Rome doing that it would collapse? Well, it took all the silver out of the Roman silver coin. That was already done. 40% was taken out under Nero. 10% was taken out by Anthony and Cleopatra. And this brought about inflation. So the uh, modius of wheat went from 6 denarii to 120,000 denarii. When I was a kid, a loaf of bread was a dime. What's it now? How much silver is in your dime? None. You're following the same path. What, what religion are you? You go to church, but that's not religion. That's not where you take care of the needy of your society. You want to take care of the needy of your society, you've got to go to a government temple such as the social welfare office. 
then apply for public religion benefits that is supplied to you by men who exercise authority one over the other. All contrary to what Jesus said, yet you sit in your churches, you sit there studying your Bible and you say, but I believe in Jesus. I listen to the gospel of Paul. I am the brethren of Paul. No, you're not. You're not doing what Paul did when he lived in Britannia, the section of Rome, where his relatives all were. You should listen to our 22-hour, 24-hour series on Paul and the Roman uh, epistles. It's quite an eye-opener. Or should be. It'd probably make a lot of you mad. But I don't know. There's a lot of people listening on uh, that are actually beginning to make sense out of all this. This gospel of the kingdom. And But you're, you're not going to be free until you take back your responsibilities. You're not going to get your rights back until you take back your responsibilities. Can you take the head side of a coin without taking the tail side of the coin? They, they're inexplicably linked. The reason you're losing your rights is because you have neglected your responsibilities. Simple as that. That's good news. Now you can turn around and start striving to go the other way. And the Father will run out and meet you halfway. And that's good news too because you haven't got enough strength to get back to where you have gone away from. You have gone way out of the presence of God. You have been chasing the tail of Cain and Nimrod and, and Pharaoh and Caesar. Chasing his benefits. You've been kissing and licking his boots. And I can't relieve you of your responsibilities because you've gone into debt. But God can. But he's not going to unless you turn around. You need to forgive so that you may be forgiven. You can't be going around saying, I paid in so I have a right. You have a right to what? The lives of your children and grandchildren? You don't have a right to that. You you don't have a right to that. That's all. You you have to forgive what they owe you. Start taking care of one another. And you could do this if you would come together. As it says, you know, what I was reading to you was uh, Justin, the martyr's uh, apology to Emperor Antonius Pius. And the wealthy among us help the needy. Those that have, share with those that don't have enough. In a way that strengthens the poor. And we always keep together, he says. This is the union and discipline of early Christianity. They were a band of brothers. So that when Paul says, we brethren, my brethren. This is who he's talking to. He's not talking to you guys who are just out there studying the Bible in your little cubicles doing nothing to take care of the needy of your society, not practicing pure religion, not doing what Jesus said, not striving to do what Jesus said. Christianity, religion, is actually doing. Will you do enough? No. You're still going to be saved by grace. But at least you're going in the right direction. You're the prodigal son headed back to your father's house, to his ways. If you're not headed back to the Father's house, if you're still wallowing in the in, in the mire of the pig farmers, 
in your pignoration. I love that word, pignoration. I keep saying that. Because <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like a double meaning in that. Pignoration. That's why you're, <laughs> you've lost your freedom. It's because you're the pig that's returned to his pignoration, his mire. You have not been giving thanksgiving. You have not become the social assurance of God through faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. You could do this, but you have to actually come together, and that's why we created the Living Network. And we have many people on the Living Network, but they're not all striving to come together and form congregations of record. And I, I'm really hard to, before I send out recognitions of a congregation of record, I want to see more than paperwork. I want to see you doing. I want to see you walking the walk. Taking the steps. Show me. Don't just tell me. Don't just say, Lord, Lord. But do it the will of the Father. Tithe into ministers who actually will support you and support the needy of your society, which includes not only your own congregation, but other congregations. And even foreigners amongst you. The red heifer. For those of you who have done some of our back studies on what the red heifer is. Nothing to do with the color red. Nothing to do with a cow. <laughs> or heifer. It has to do with foreign aid. And if you don't know what I mean, you got lots to learn. So anyway... We're creeping up on the end of this series on Christianity. If you want to be a Christian, you have to follow Christ. A Christian is someone who is following the ways of Christ, doing what Christ said. And when and uh, when um, Justin was writing, he said, And they who are well-to-do and willing give what each think fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president. That their minister, when it's translated, the word they use for their minister was president. Over and over again we see that. Principas. President. First among us. First to do what? First to serve, not to rule. When they said president, they meant someone who was the servant of servants of servants. Who came to serve like Christ. And he goes on to say, Who succor the orphans and the widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want. And those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning among us. And in a word, take care of all who are in need. These are the words of a Christian in 150 A.D. They could only do that if they gathered together. And they could only gather together in the name of Christ as they gather together to serve one another, including the stranger in your midst. So if you gather and you are not bringing your tithe to that service, if you really the tithe was to support the minister, not to support his work, but to support his labor, because he was working at this full time. And if, if you were tithing, he could devote this to full time. But most of our ministers, all of our ministers, work at other things to support themselves. And they will continue to do so. 
But the more support you give them, the more time they could devote to this. Fortunately, I've worked 16-hour days for the last 40 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've always got eight hours to give to God and eight hours to support my family. <laughs> but this is very time-consuming. You should be supporting your ministers. And I'm not the ministers to all of you. You should gather together in small, intimate congregations so that you know your ministers. And even if you are far apart, you begin to know those and start filling in the gaps. And each of you become a minister and make another congregation. But you come together and you deposit with your minister to succor the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want and those who are in bonds which are all of us, and the strangers sojourning among us, those that do not yet know and understand the kingdom of God. We need to get into the charity enterprise. I don't want to say business, although they use uh, Peter uses the word business. We, we are not running a commercial business. We are running a charitable business, a faith-open charity. We cast our bread upon the waters. We do the work. We serve. We contribute out of our own pockets. I've given away more money out of my pocket than I've given out of anybody else's pocket. <laughs> but uh, we are the government, the one form of government that operates by faith, open charity. You must choose. And that's why you must choose locally to give locally. And then those ministers can pass it on up to other ministers through a network. This is the only way to get back to freedom is the practice of pure religion, which includes the stranger in your midst. So if there's no need amongst your congregation, then you should be connected with other ministers and say, is there any need amongst it? We just had somebody went into the hospital. They've gotten back out again. It wasn't real serious. Uh, I'll mention Texas, but I won't mention any names. Um, I bet you they could use some help with that medical bill. I bet you they could use some help. I don't know. I'm not their minister. They should have a minister. They should have a congregation of record by now. <laughs> that minister would report to the rest of the ministers what you need and the rest of their congregation. And we would take care of that. Hopefully. Yeah, I can only say hopefully because we don't force the contributions. We're the government of freedom. The government of liberty. All the other governments, they force you. you got to start being the government of God. This is what Christ was preaching. The government of God that operated by faith, open charity. It wasn't just preaching, think a thought and save yourself by your thoughts, by your beliefs. I'm saved because I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, not even knowing what that means. You're still praying to the fathers of the earth. You're still praying to benefactors who exercise authority for educating your children. You know, you might homeschool for a while, but eventually you present your kids to public school. How many of your grandchildren are going to public school? And you wonder why there's a, such a mess going on? Oh, it's just terrible. Because you're workers of iniquity. You have to turn around, repent, and seek the kingdom of God. The right to be ruled by God. And that doesn't come unless you take back your responsibilities. I don't know how many times I can say it. <laughs> but I gave you a lot of other information here. Definition of religion. How it's changed. Yeah, just review that. Think about that. It went from what you do to take care of the needs and obligations to your fellow man 
to what you think. <laughs> That's a big change. You know, so now you know what religion is. Now you know why Christians were persecuted. Because they would not apply for the benefits of public welfare. Because that was the Corbin. That was another thing we could discuss really quickly. Now, the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. The, you signed up by Corbin of the Pharisees by getting the baptism of Herod by his ministers registered in the temple by the scribes. And you were now eligible for the benefits of that system. But you had to pay in. And with that money, they built the temple of Herod. And he also built the Temple of Roma for those who wanted to do this under the name of Roma instead of under the name of Yahweh. Same system. But it was a system of Corbin, which is also translated treasury, that makes the word of God to none effect. You should be investing in the kingdom of God, which is investing in the love of one another. And be bound by that love only. Not by contracts, covenants, and the pignoration of civil law. You see how this is all tied together from one end to the other? From the beginning, Abraham left Ur, left Haran, and set up living altars to take care of the needy of his society through free will offerings, free will offerings, free will offerings. This is the way, the only way to freedom, only way to liberty under God. And you haven't been going it, so you've got a lot to do. Until we meet again on the road to the kingdom of God, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.